You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermons online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. If you want to read along in the Bibles, I'll be in Judges chapter 6 through uh, chapter 8 as we tell this story. Well, uh, the story is kind of a one that goes repeats and theme in the Old Testament, and that has to do with the Israelites drifting away. Of course, we see it today as a metaphor for today, how Christians come and go, unfortunately. And the Israelites uh, drifted away uh, terribly, time after time again. And that's how we begin in Judges chapter 6, there in verse 1, and you'll see this phrase of uh, the Lord, I mean, of the Israel doing evil uh, throughout the Old Testament, in Judges 6, reading in verse 1, Then the children of Israel did evil in sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them in the hand of Midians for seven years. And uh, this term, uh, Midian, had to do with an Arabic, Arabic uh, Arab tribe in, uh, in, uh, back in the time, they're descendants of Abraham. They, uh, the historians tell us, you might hear Midians now associated with uh, the Shriners or the Masons. Uh, that's just a, uh, no, uh, they have no idea what it means. <laughs> but they like the idea of uh, having fezzes and hats and Arab uh, themes to their parties. So they decided to add the Midians. I guess if you go up to any Shriner and ask them uh, about, tell them the story about uh, Gideon defeating the Midianites, they wouldn't have any idea what it's about. But you've heard that term before, but it had to do with the tribe. They were nomadic, and they were quite brutal. And uh, because of the sins of Israel, God let them rule the Israelites, his chosen people. Here it says for seven years. So the Midians, as we said, were a bad group, and they uh, mistreated the Israelites. Verse 7 says, And it came to pass the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. We've heard his chosen people cry out before. Earlier in the Old Testament, of course, they were upset with the Egyptians treating them so bad. But here we see uh, that they're upset with these Midianites uh, treating them so bad. So they asked God for help, and oftentimes he would give them some help. And the Lord sends a prophet. We see this in the next few verses there. In verse 10, the prophet is unnamed, but uh, he said, Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God, speaking the prophet, speaking for God. I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites and those whose land you dwell, for, but you have not obeyed my voice. That's why uh, Israel found themselves in trouble. And we'll see some of this as we read the story of Gideon. Well, see how bad they were, and uh, it's phenomenal to me to think how the chosen people of God with all their history can turn so ugly and turn to be acting so bad. And we see them in this story of Gideon, of them erecting altars to sacrifice to these man-made idols. And uh, they also had several idols, and they also put up these long poles that were called Asheroth poles, and these two would dignify, uh, their, they would try to signify their great relationship with these idols. And here on the high places above this town, uh, Gideon noticed there's an altar. Uh, the angel helped him notice this. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself. 
But there was altars to these gods on high places with long poles so everybody could see. You can see why God was not happy at all with the way that they would go. Well, our story introduces us to Gideon at a wine press in this town in the region called Ophrah. And here we have a, a Gideon huddled down in a wine press, I pictured him, because he's hiding himself, threshing this grain. Uh, because if the, the Midianites see him harvesting grain, they're going to come take it. So he's hiding down in this wine press, uh, 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 trying to get this grain off the wheat he had harvested before the Midianites found him. Well, next to this wine press, press is this nice oak tree. And under this oak tree sits this man labeled as the angel of God. The angel of God. We see this phrase uh, throughout the Old Testament. It's one of the mysteries of the Old Testament that intrigue us so. Because when we see this term, the angel of God, we know that he's some deity in within the realm of heaven that, uh, that's being signified. We have a couple angels named for us. They're called archangels, Michael and Gabriel. But this angel of the Lord comes up from time to time. I'm sure it's the Lord trying to tickle our fancy. Who is this? Because when we hear the angel of the Lord talk, he talks as if he is God. So I'll leave you to speculate on who the angel of the Lord might be. Some people say it's a theophany. It's a, a, pic, a, a, a picture of God in human form. Some people say it's a Christophany. It's a picture of Christ in human form, even before he was born here. But I'll let you speculate on that. Needless to say, this angel is from God, and he's of a great uh, uh, significance. We've heard of him before earlier. You may remember the story in uh, Genesis chapter 16. Hagar is thrown out of the camp, and her and her son are left to die. Well, the angel of the Lord shows up and shows them away. And you can go through that, not to get too much off subject, but that's an interesting study if you look for that signification about the angel of the Lord. Well, during this, this uh, conversation Gideon's having with this man of God, we see that he commends Gideon. And this is what kind of prompted a lesson for me. A buddy of mine got one of those inspirational plaques. And if you ever get up to northeast Wichita, that Bible store, you'll see a lot of inspirational uh, plaques with Bible verses on it. Well, this is one that's on a lot of them these days. Uh, Judges 6 and verse 12. There it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Think of uh, Gideon. He's hiding down in a wine press trying to get some grain harvest. And he has an angel shows up. And he says, uh, You're a mighty man with valor. Well, that would be quite encouraging. This commendation from God himself. So Gideon was inspired, I'm sure. And uh, he went on to, the story continues. He knew that he had a task to do, and that was to uh, clear these Midianites and let Israel live the life they should be living, that is, under God. Well, uh, as we read the story, Gideon had a first request for a sign. He wanted to know uh, what in the world's going on here. Maybe if you give me a sign... I'll do a little better, and maybe I can understand uh, who's talking to me. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who talk to me. So here at the wine press in Oprah, the angel agreed, which kind of uh, 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 made me wonder. 
And the uh, uh, angel agreed, okay, uh, we'll give you a sign. So Gideon tells him, all right, I'm going to go get some meat. I'm going to go get some bread, and I'll be back. Are you going to wait for me? And the angel said, all right, I'll be here. So here he comes. He had prepared goat meat and a broth. He had simmered the meat in a broth. And uh, he had prepared bread, and he brought them to the oak tree. And there the uh, angel of God was still there. And the story continues to tell us that the angel had him put the bread on the ground, put the meat on top of that, and pour the broth all over it. And then he touched his staff to it, and it all went up in flames. It was a sacrifice to God. It's all that great preparation that uh, Gideon had made, and it was extensive if you've ever uh, done a big roast or something and simmered it. Uh, And it was all up in flame. So, uh, of course, Gideon was impressed with this. He knew he was talking to somebody special. So he went on with his assignment here as God was encouraging him to do his will, as God encouraged us today. Well, his first assignment was one we can all cheer for. came to pass in Judges 6, verse 25, the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your young bull, the second bull, the seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal and your alt- that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. Boy, I like the way this sounds. So this big, elaborate stone altar to this idol is destroyed. And then this ornately carved Ashereth pole that was signifying this place of idolatry is cut up and split and made for firewood. That's quite a sign. Well, it was up on a hill, too, did I tell you that? Where the Israelites were enraged. They were saying, "How? who's done this and what is going on here? Quite upset. These chosen people of God were upset with this man of God destroying their altar. Gideon in verse Judges 6, verse 28 uh, is, uh, is recorded for us about them being so mad. And there it reads, And when the men of the city rose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was supplied it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar, which had been built. That got them pretty upset. In fact, they were threatening to kill Gideon. They were going to drag him out in the house and kill him for doing this terrible thing they thought that God had encouraged him to do. Fortunately, some wisdom came out. It happened to be with Joash, which was Gideon's father. And he asked these guys to consider their situation. And you can just almost see a glimmer of faith in these Israelites coming to to bear. In Judges 6, there in verse 31, Joash here. But Joash said to all who stood against him, what a brave man. He had the whole town upset with him when what his son had done. So he stood up. Would you plead for Baal? He asked them to consider. Then he says, would you save him, this idol of men? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, speaking of Baal, let him plead for himself. Because his altar has been torn down. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself. Judges 6 verse 31. Isn't that true today too? These things of men, these idols that men develop, if they're of God, then their goodness can be proven by themselves, can't they? Still, it applies for us today. Well, as the story continues, 
this altar was laid down. Now we got to deal with the Midianites. Gideon still has some doubts. Still maybe needs to be encouraged. We'll have to wonder about that for a while. But he decides to do a couple more tests. <laughs> and these tests take two days, the way he set it up. So Gideon, rather politely in Judges 6, decides to ask for another sign or two. <clears throat> so we're in Judges 6, way over in verse 36 now. <clears throat> Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, Look, I will place a wool fleece in the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know what you will save, Israel, by my hand. As you said, and what has happened? Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. And the ground was all the way dry around it. Gideon must have said, my goodness. Besides to do another test, verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, take the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground around was covered with dew. So God allowed this test again and then Gideon was impressed. Can't blame Gideon too much. Here he is hunkering down in a wine press and he's told that he is going to defeat the Midianites, this big tribe that's been terrorizing them for seven years. He's probably wondering, how can I do this? What's going to give me the idea to do this? And he kind of has the confidence that he can do this with God's help. So the plan is laid out. So now we're on day three of this test and then early the next morning, Gideon readies for the attack. Reading now in Judges chapter 7, there in verse 1, Now Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early in the encamp beside the well of Horod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Mor in the valley. So Gideon was able to organize from the different tribes Quite an uh, uh, army there on this hill north of where the Midianites were all camped. Notice there that Gideon's name's been changed. You know, after Joash made that uh, argument to the people, they said, all right, we'll go with that, but we're going to change Gideon's name, and they changed it to one that says Jer Jerubbabel, which means contends with the idol or contends with Baal. I bet you Gideon kind of liked that nickname. <laughs> I'm uh, accused of giving people nicknames from time to time. And, uh, but this would be a nickname I think uh, uh, Gideon might have liked. Yeah, I'm going to contend with Baal, this idol, as we should today contend with all the idols of modern day. But here we are, ready for battle. North side of the hill and the Morah in the valley where the Midianites are down there. Well, he has a big army. Several tribes, if you read in Judges 7, were gathered together for this fight, which Midian thought he needed. We see the Midianites uh, in this valley. They're described in Judges 12, and their camels were, too, were like locusts, they said. If you've ever seen a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a big herd of locusts, 
they're all, uh, uh, they're, you know, it's hundreds, thousands. And so they're going up against these Midianites. They're uh, used to traveling across the desert on their camels. They're used to setting up these tent camps in the desert. And there's thousands of them. And uh, he wants to get as big an army as he can to get together. But uh, God had a different idea. There we read about God and his thinking. He says, we got too many here. Nobody's going to be impressed with Gideon defeating these Midianites as he swarms down on them with 20,000 tribesmen. So he said, let's reduce it. So God has a couple tests of his own as this continues on. He said, all right, let's cut this down a bit. He said, first, ask them who's scared. Who's trembling with fear, he says. Tell them it's all right. We don't need you. Then, uh, still got too many. Midian said, what do you mean too many? (laughs) And then he has another test. Take him down to the brook. This nice, fresh, cool water. Maybe as I, uh, if you've ever been out hunting and you get every now and then you come across these brooks that come up from the ground. The spring-fed brook, it's called. Nice water, good water. (laughs) Watch what they do at this water, God tells Gideon. Those that uh, lap it like a dog, he says, uh, 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 I think those are the ones he uh, keeps. And those that cup their hands and bring the water to their mouth, tell them they can go home too. So he's got this army that Gideon was probably impressed with. Now it's down to 300 men. But these 300 men, were chosen by God. These are the ones that God decided were going to defeat the Midianites. Well, the story gets a lot more interesting as we continue towards this conclusion. And uh, <coughs> Gideon still is a little worried, has another test. He says, I just don't know. So God tells him, all right, go down, sneak down to the camp this night and see what's going on. So he takes a guy with him. They get close to the camp and hide, I guess, and they can hear what they're talking about in Judges chapter 7. And what they're talking about is uh, uh, this army of Gideon. And God had caused rumor and panic to spread throughout the Midianite camp that whole night. They knew that that Gideon was coming, and they knew that he had something going for him also. So this rumor and panic increased and increased through all the night. And then Gideon launches his plan of attack. It's rather interesting. Not something we would consider, I'm sure. But here it is in chapter 16. He says, with his 300 men, they all uh, got all the trumpets they could get, get together from the thousands of people. So they were able to have 300 trumpets, I guess, for this attack. So in verse 16... When I blow the trumpet, I and all you who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of this whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So that's what they did. They got on all four sides, all four directions of this mini night camp down in this valley. Gideon gave them the green light. Trumpets started blaring and then the shouting started and the Midianites lost it, start to panic. In fact, verse 22, they even start using their nasty double-edged swords on themselves. Can you imagine that type of panic? They just become blind with the fear. 
and the rout begins. These 300 men, as they say, it's like uh, a fishing in a barrel. And they all went down there and destroyed them, ran them out of the, the valley, and gathered up their kings. And we see this climactic conclusion in chapter 8 with the Midianites being defeated and the kings executed. Rather bizarre end here at the end when Gideon asked his young son to kill these two kings. And there in chapter 8, the young said, said, no, I don't want to be a part of that. Uh, so you see that uh, <coughs> uh, Gideon decided to kill the kings also, being executed for the evil they had done and the evilness they imposed on them. There's some lessons in this story for us. I would, while we're here, encourage you to read on in Judges 9. I spent too much time reading on and uh, <laughs> made my lesson uh, uh, <clears throat> maybe a little late in getting my lesson done. But read on there about Abimelech and uh, the end of and, and, uh, Gideon's passing away and uh, the wickedness of those people and how God deals with them. A good lesson there. Maybe if the Lord wills, we can get to that some other time. Well, let's get back to lessons we can learn from Gideon. <clears throat> Something I'd like to be encouraging to us all. We all have talents, and God knows what they are. We can all do certain things to spread the gospel in certain ways. You know, when we look at Gideon, he starts out not very impressive at all. We got him huddled down here trying to harvest some grain, hiding from the Midianites, not confident in the future at all, not confident in what he could do for God also. But you know, we can all use the gifts that God has given us to promote Christianity. I wanted to turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. And here uh, uh, the New Testament talks about how we all have something we can do for Christ. And we all should not... Uh, turn these opportunities down. First Peter chapter 4. Familiar verses we want to start in uh, verse 10. <clears throat> Here we go. <laughs> Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. That's not thought excluding anybody, is it? <laughs> Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Reading out of the NIV, verse 11. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And we can't turn down this opportunity we have in this life. We need to use what talents we have to serve God in the best way we can. Because we know. Today, Christians are still called to do what is great. We'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 here. It talks about how this world wants to shape what is great today. And this world wants to tell us who is wise or who is mighty and who is noble in this world. And boy, when we look at some of the worldly nominated wise, noble, and mighty, we kind of shake our head. Why is that so? 
I still can't understand all the press and media attention some of these zero people get in the world. Well, God calls Christians today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They're reading in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh or to the world, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world are the things which are despised. God has chosen and things which are not to bring nothing, the things that are are, that no flesh should glory in his pleasance. See, God understands what's important. And we as Christians need to understand what's important also and do those things that God would have us to do. Because you know what? God knows what we can become. God knows the things we can do to help his kingdom grow. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul writing, Therefore come out from among them and be separate. He's talking to those chosen by God, those who call on Christ, those who call themselves Christians. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God knows we can do great things. We can do great things if we call on God. And he'll be there to help us. Judges chapter 6 verse 12 talks about uh, got my pages mixed up. Give me a second here so I don't get messed up here. Talks about God's uh, and you'll let me back up won't you? <laughs> And God will help us in Judges 6 and verse 12. We see about uh, Jonah uh, uh, <clears throat> there laying down the fleece. And you know, as you read through this story, you get a little uncomfortable with Jonah or with Gideon testing uh, uh, God so much. You know, what is it? First time, and the fleece, and then the spies, four times. He needs to be getting encouraged here. So Gideon of course, had his doubts about this situation, and I understand, as all of you can, tan, can understand, but we're warned about this, and we need to guard against this in our lives also. You know, the famous uh, verse in Deuteronomy 6, famous because Christ quoted it when the devil tempted him so. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16, there it says, you shall not test the Lord your God, as you test him in Massa. And if you, uh, the story of Massa is they were uh, trying to uh, uh, test God or tempt God there in Exodus 17, 7, uh, uh, this place called Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the Israel of Israel, children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord saying or tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So what a arrogant attitude for those Israelites to have. No, we're not to test God. <clears throat> and we, uh, we're supposed to uh, help, have God to help us. I often think of the story of a father in Mark chapter 9. You remember the story. He brought his son there possessed by the devil. 
And uh, there he's asking the Father, Jesus is asking the Father if he believes. He says, I believe. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 12, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. So if you find yourself testing God, you need to be looking at yourself, don't you? You need to be praying for God's help and have him help you overcome your unbelief also. And God will help us. <clears throat> Ask God to strengthen you, and he'll be there for you. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 10, says that God will perfect us, establish us, strengthen, and settle you. These are all great things that we need to pray for and continue to encourage in our own life. I used to do this a lot when I was young. And I was uh, uh, brought up in a parochial school and quite enthused with the Bible. And uh, lots of crazy thoughts when you're in grade school going through your head. And one thing that I would do as I do little tests in my head when I was a little boy. That's something we shouldn't do. You know, I'd say, well, if this is good, then you'll do this for me and stuff. But we can ask God for help. But are we asking for signs to know what to do? You know, uh, when you're stuck in a situation and you need help from God, I think it's three things I try to do. Consider everything carefully. Get the prejudice out of your mind. Get the worldly thoughts out of your mind and consider everything as honestly as you can. Always do what is right. As painful as it may be, you know what is right. And ask that God's will be done. That's how you handle this life. And that's how you get through it well. By asking God for help. Next point had to do with the idols. And idols is an undercurrent through this whole story. And idolatry today is something we need to contend against also. But here we have the Israelites uh, uh, causing so much trouble uh, because of their idol worship. In Jonah 2 verse 8, that's where I get this title about idols being worthless. Jonah talked about that, that prophet of God. But you look at how far Israel had fallen, <clears throat> constructing altars, building these poles. We can read in the Old Testament more atrocities Israelites were in, involved in. And, it's, and, and the, all these stories are told to us because of uh, the adultery we experience today. We're supposed to learn lessons from this <clears throat> about today. We see, we read Joash's wise response there in chapter 6 and verse 31 about he asked them to prove themselves, and of course they didn't. We, hear, we heard about uh, uh, them changing uh, Gideon's name. Jedrebbel uh, contends with Baal, and that tells us about the worthlessness of idol. But uh, as we study about idolatry, we see it simply is rebellion against our creator. And it goes on today. Psalms 115, talking about this, talking about idols and how ridiculous it was to worship them. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses have they, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. 
Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so everyone, so is everyone who trusts them. When we talk about idols today, we can simply see them as obstacles, walls, something that is before us in God, something that separates us from God. First John, the very last verse of chapter 5, verse 21, last verse of that book, it says, keep yourself from idols, all men. That's how he ends that book. Colossians chapter 3, therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry. You think about idolatry today. All around us, isn't it? People love money. People love their careers. <laughs> some people do. Uh, some, some people love their possessions, the things they have. Some people, it's all about influential friends, who they can be friends with. Some people, it has to do with their lifestyle, the way they're living daily. These are all idols today that we need to turn away from in this world. And idolatry is alive and well. That's why we hear about it so much in the Old Testament. As we read uh, towards the end of uh, our verses there in Judges, we see uh, uh, the great conclusion here. Of course, we have the dramatic defeat of the Midianites and great cause for uh, celebration there. But also... The execution of those that who treated them all so badly. But we see Gideon now is a ruler in chapter 8 of Judges. You have quite a story here about them chasing down these two kings. And I encourage you to go ahead and read that. But here we are at the end of this story. Judges chapter 8, about verse 22. And Gideon is a bona fide hero. Ran off the Midianites, slaughtered thousands, and uh, uh, the Israelites are going to turn around and do what they can for this man of God. So I'm in chapter 8 of Judges now, verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, <coughs> Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, <coughs> because you have saved us. Out of the hand of the Midians. What a great thing. They wanted to make him king. He was their hero. He would have all of Israel lay down beside him. I don't think Gideon thought about this more than two seconds. He replied immediately in verse 23. He says, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. What does he say? The Lord will rule over you. He said, I only have one request, that each of you give me an earring for your share of the plunder. It was custom. These Midianites or the Ishmaelites, these pagans, they all had gold earrings. Now here's a little side, just give me a little side book here. So I looked this up. They tell how much they gathered here. About a million three in today's dollars. So that's a lot of Midianites that died. And I don't know if they wore two earrings or one earrings. But that's quite a load there. Uh, come to about 44 pounds. Uh, what's the gold was trading about 1,900 an ounce when I checked last night. 
million three were gathered up uh, just from the earrings. Also, there was gold chains on the camels. There was all kinds of gold. They had a ton of it. The Israelites got it. Back to our point. Let God rule over you. And that's, of course, talking to us today. We need to ask ourselves, are you ready for God to rule your life? Are you ready to turn yourself over to him? Let him be the ruler of your life and everything you do. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 11. Having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. Talking of Christ. To all who obey him. Gideon called by God. Just a quick review here. There's talent in every one of us here. We can do all do things for Christ. This idolatry that's prevalent in today's world is worthless. All it is is worldliness. We need to push our ways away from that. God will help us if we ask. We look for the answers. And let God rule your life. If you're going to obey Christ Jesus, you're going to obey the gospel. <clears throat> I'll get that computer figured out one of these days. You're going to obey the gospel. You're going to hear the gospel, which you have today. You're going to have faith in Jesus Christ and be able to confess that to men. You're going to have repentance and turn your life around and be baptized to be saved. 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about this symbolism between the water saving Noah in the water, saving us today. I just love this. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of God. You being lifted out of the water is symbolized the same as Christ Jesus and his resurrection. After you're baptized, it doesn't end. You need to continue to grow. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. Devote yourself to the study of the gospel. 2 Peter 1 verse 5. Also for this very reason, give all diligence. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. We want you all growing as Christians. Well, this morning, if you look at yourself and decided you need to turn some things around. Maybe you need the help of this congregation to help you in the prayers and the encouragement. We're ready to do that. Maybe you've yet to name Christ Jesus as your Savior. And you too need to be saved in the water of baptism. We're ready for that too. Whatever you need might be, we ask you to come forward as together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.